It is Sanam Asili, biomedical researcher. On this podcast, you will hear the conversation with Francesco Santini. Francesco is the head of the Basel Muscle MRI Group at the Department of Biomedical Engineering at the University of Basel and the senior researcher at the Basel University Hospital, Switzerland. His research focused on MRI method development for muscle imaging, both on image acquisition and post-processing. He is the main developer of DEFNA, a free and open source segmentation tool based on federated learning. He is an open science advocate and vice president of the Reproducible Research Study Group of ISMRM. My co-host in this podcast is Yegor Pomfilov. Yegor is a PhD student at the University of Ulu, Finland. He is doing research on deep learning and computer vision for medical data analysis. He is an active open source contributor. In this episode, we will talk about AI in imaging, especially uh, the problems related to segmentation, the difficulties of data availability, reproducibility, and generalization of AI method, federated learning as a potential solution uh, to this problem. This podcast is hosted uh, by the European Society for Magnetic Resonance in Medicine and Biology. Here is our conversation. Hi, Francesco. Welcome to the podcast. Could you tell us about yourself and your scientific journey? Hi, Sanam, and hi, Yegor. Thank you very much uh, for your kind introduction and for the invitation to this podcast. Really excited that we can chat. Um, So you already said a lot about me. Uh, I work in Basel in Switzerland. Uh, I started with uh, sequence programming. I've done a lot of sequence programming in uh, more or less every part of the body. I've done a lot of uh, uh, cardiac imaging in the past, uh, and recently I moved more into muscle imaging uh, as uh, I kind of generalize myself. No, the heart is a specific muscle, and now I do a little bit uh, all muscles. Um, and my latest pet project is this uh, segmentation tool based on uh, federated learning, and I'm really excited to talk about it. That's great. Uh, sounds interesting talk. And how good are state of the art in segmentation algorithms for uh, medical imaging? Yeah, well, uh, this is uh, a field that is expanding dramatically. Uh, there are people that are actually much more qualified uh, than me that are developing. Uh, fantastic algorithms uh, um, and uh, mm, it seems to be that at the moment deep learning is definitely the way to go for every kind of automatic segmentation and uh, people are achieving good results at least uh, according to the papers they publish. And what are the challenges in segmentation of some organs like a kidney, liver and is there any way to improve it? Yeah, well, it's a very good question. Uh, Liver and kidney actually are similar to uh, what I do uh, because they are uh, organs that deform with respiration, with movement, and the same uh, happens with the muscles. So the muscles are basically soft. So it's not something rigid like the brain or or the spine. Um, So this is one of the main challenges. uh, uh, And then, of course, you have all the... uh, problems of different resolutions and different contrasts and so on. Yeah, especially in tumor area, tumor lesion also, since they have a, a different shape and also that will be challenging. And uh, I have another question for you. How to assess the reliability of segmentation algorithm? 
Um, well, uh, the reliability, that's actually a good question because the performance, uh, we know we have uh, metrics uh, and uh, uh, if we have the ground truth, then we can calculate how good the, the algorithm is. But the, the reliability, in my opinion, uh, is really dependent on the kind of data that you get in the beginning. And what I mean is that uh, uh, a lot of uh, groups are publishing algorithms that work fantastic on their own data but uh, it's uh, a bit of a question whether they will work on different data with different uh, resolution and, uh, uh, and uh, contrasts. And this is actually the main challenge uh, in the reproducibility of AI-based methods. Yeah, this is my another question, how we can improve reproducibility of uh, this method uh, for segmentation. Yeah, I mean, reproducibility is uh, the basis of science. No, you cannot have science uh, if it's not reproducible. And um, indeed, uh, uh, this is a pet peeve of mine when I see a paper that uh, uh, presents a method, especially a machine learning method, and uh, claims to have fantastic results. Uh, and then uh, the model is uh, actually not made available in any form, either in in free, but not even in commercial form. And this is uh, uh, the, the main uh, uh, problem with reproducibility. How can uh, the results be independently uh, verified? So uh, for example, uh, some journals like radiology have guidelines in place that say that uh, every machine learning method should uh, be made available as a software in some form. It can also be commercial, but in my view, uh, having open source uh, and publishing the model and ideally the data is the way to go. Yeah, apparently, uh, feature learning is called as one of the potential uh, solutions to improve uh, or solve the uh, issue of reproducibility and the reliability of these algorithms. Uh, could you talk, uh, like uh, for, for general audience, what is the federated learning? Federated learning is uh, a way of training our model. So when you have a, a general machine learning model, you need some uh, data to feed to it so that the model can adapt to this data and learn. And uh, usually you have to collect a lot of data and do the training of the model on your own machine or, or machines. With federated learning, we bring the model to the data. So instead of bringing the data to the model, we bring the model to the data. That means that we give the model to our users and the users will train the model on their own data. And we have multiple users, it's a decentralized network. So each one will train the model on their own data and then the model gets aggregated in a, in a central uh, location. So that the model moves, but not the data itself. And about the data, could you talk from your experience on the legal status of medical data uh, within Europe and how difficult it is to obtain data uh, within one institution and in European collaboration or with other uh, countries like uh, with uh, United States? Yeah, thank you. This is an interesting question. And uh, I can tell from experience, we exchange data with uh, collaborators in the EU. So Switzerland is not part of the EU, uh, but has some bilateral uh, uh, agreements with the EU, which make things slightly easier. Uh, but in general, uh, it is relatively complicated. It's a lot of uh, paperwork. Uh, um, 
of course, these changes, if you're talking about anonymized or non-anonymized data. Anonymized data is uh, easier, but uh, there is still uh, a lot of uh, uh, concerns, uh, uh, also depending on what kind of data we are talking about. Yeah. The main concern is uh, uh, yeah, if you can somehow extract some patient information to you, that you have. Is, uh, like brain imaging. Uh, exactly. Brain is, uh... exactly. I, I was talking also with some colleagues. This is a bit out of the scope of what we're talking about today, but one big problem is if we want to exchange raw data, uh, MRI raw data uh, of, of heads. So if you're exchanging image data, you can cut out the face and uh, yeah. you can do uh, some tricks. But if you're exchanging raw data, this gets uh, very complicated. And this is a major hindrance. Fortunately, I work with uh, mostly legs and arms, so I don't really care about that so much. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's complicated. Yeah. It's interesting. I think many, uh, many researchers are aware of uh, um, some initiatives, uh, such as, for example, one of Stanford University and particularly uh, Matthew Lundgren, who have been working for several, several years now uh, to publish different medical data sets. Uh, and I think there is also one quite large platform called Grand Challenges, where uh, different institutions from uh, all across uh, the globe uh, run some challenges and also make the data sets more or less public. Um, are you aware of any such initiatives like in Europe really to make the data public for, for wide use? Or if not, why do you think it's, it's more challenging to have this kind of thing in Europe? Well, I don't know about the uh, US uh, regulatory framework. Uh, I, I guess that uh, there is a uh, there is something in place there, like in Europe. Uh, uh, Europe has uh, a large project about brain. Uh, it's called the Human Brain Project, uh, and they uh, have the eBrains repository where they uh, give, uh, where, where they have uh, a lot of, uh, of brain data sets available. And this is an EU initiative. Um, the EU funding schemes, uh, uh, which unfortunately, uh, I have to open a parenthesis, Switzerland just uh, uh, fell out of because of uh, bilateral agreement. So we cannot access EU funding anymore. This is sob sob for me. Um, but anyway, EU regulations now require that it, the data should be as open as possible. These uh, uh, clashes with uh, privacy regulations and uh, from my point of view and all the people that I know, uh, the, the problem is that it's uh, a pain to make sure that you comply with all the regulations uh, and nobody really gives you the resources to make sure that you do it. So sometimes it's just uh, too hard and uh, uh, what can a PI do? It, it's really hard to, to, to navigate through all the, all the paperwork. Uh, it's lazy, laziness is not an excuse, but uh, sometimes uh, it's, it's the unfortunate reality. Are there any legal framework in the EU, UK, United States allowing uh, the use of federated learning? Uh, this is a, a good question. So uh, deep learning is still uh, uh, an evolving field, and for sure there is a lot of uh, a lot of concern in general about uh, uh, the usage of deep learning and uh, uh, when uh, uh, machine learning can. Uh, 
lead to, to harm to patient, for example, in wrong diagnosis and so on. Uh, federated learning is, of course, a, a sub, uh, subset of that. Uh, in a way, we are, uh, I, I also not, I'm of course not a lawyer, so I can only give you my impression of how things are. Uh, in my view, that is, uh, my view is that uh, GDPR mostly protects uh, personal data. So uh, as long as you're not exchanging personal data, the GDPR doesn't really come into force. But of course, uh, we still have ethics regulations and uh, uh, to share patient data, even if they're anonymized, then you also you have to have uh, ethics approval. Um, in general, it's not a big problem for uh, research, nonprofit research purposes. So I'm mostly focusing anyway on academia and all I do is not for profit. Uh, but uh, um, this is a problem and I know from uh, uh, commercial entities that uh, uh, they really need to be careful when they base their models on patient data and they want to sell these models afterwards because it's an ethical minefield there. Yeah. Um, from the implementation part, so when we talk about uh, federated learning, we uh, many assume that the data never leaves uh, the institution and all the computations are done in somewhat anonymized way and uh, the results are aggregated later. Um, but I think from my experience, it's kind of tricky this line between the anonymized and anonymized data. If we take a look at the GDPR regulations, for example, if I'm not mistaken, the, uh, the document says that uh, anonymized data is basically the one that requires unreasonable effort to be uh, used to identify some person. Um, so can you say maybe a few words on uh, how difficult it is really to anonymize medical data in a reliable way? And uh, what are the potential vulnerability issues when we speak about federated learning framework? Yeah, you're... Uh, focusing the problem exactly. Uh, of course, uh, we already talked uh, shortly before about uh, uh, brain and uh, uh, head data, and this is a, this is a big problem. Uh, I think uh, recently there was also the discussion of how you can identify people from the ears. So you can, uh, uh, if you have a data set that contains an earlobe, then you can identify them. Uh, in, uh, uh, in the specific case of federated learning, uh, um, it's true. So there are some potential for vulnerabilities where you can do uh, reverse uh, model attacks. So you can try to extract the data from, from the model itself. There are some algorithms that introduce like random noise and uh, are supposed to uh, partially eliminate this problem. So there are some technical solutions to this problem. Uh, I think uh, it's, uh, it's also crucial to uh, focus on uh, what is actually feasible. So you mentioned this unreasonable effort. Um, at the moment, uh, uh, yeah, one would need to really sit down and see how hard uh, things are. I'm, uh, I'm working with the limbs, so uh, these are really hardly identifiable, but uh, uh, a lot of work has been done on brain and uh, this is a great concern for them. Yeah, it's a, it's a really important point. Um, yeah, maybe switching to more of a, like a positive uh, side of things. 
Um, are you aware of any uh, successful commercial projects that are based partially or completely on federated learning uh, overall and uh, also, of course, in, in the medical imaging domain? Yeah, I mean, federated learning is not a new approach, it's nothing revolutionary, and probably uh, your phone does that when you just type on your phone keyboard uh, to, to get better predictions of what you're going to write. So this is an example of federated learning, and it's definitely a commercial application. So it works, and for sure it's a very uh, successful strategy. In the medical imaging community, uh, I know of a handful of research projects. Um, usually they're consortiums, uh, I think uh, they're mostly uh, based on, so they're mostly working on brain images. I mean, brain is probably the, 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 the biggest uh, uh, driving force uh, in, uh, in imaging and especially in MRI. Um, but uh, at the moment, I am not aware of a commercial initiative, uh, but you know, these things uh, uh, change every week and uh, it might be even the last couple of weeks I was on holiday and I missed something. Uh, another, I think, interesting direction for, uh, for commercial use of such system is uh, expanding medical, medical analysis, medical image analysis services to developing countries that for some reason, for example, they do not have uh, maybe companies with long uh, story of uh, developing such algorithms um, or may just benefit from, from having pre-trained models from many European countries and then uh, adapted to, uh, to their particular population. Do you think there's also a niche there for federated learning or uh, it's something like a bit of out of scope? Yeah, it could be. Uh, of course, this is my vision for federated learning. Uh, anybody can contribute to the improvement of the model. Um, on the other hand, this is also uh, just uh, a problem that uh, deep learning can solve as long as we are actually publishing all the models uh, and uh, all the methods that we use. So uh, by publishing, I mean making them available in, in software form. So uh, especially for developing countries, I think that uh, reproducible research and open science uh, is the uh, most important thing uh, rather than a single specific method. And uh, let's uh, talk about Daphne, uh, which is interesting. And after all of this question, we reached this question. Could you please tell us about Daphne and this uh, federated learning-based uh, segmentation open source tool? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so you give me a bit of opportunity of talking about this uh, really, pet project that I have uh, since uh, it's maybe a couple of years now that I've been developing it. Uh, um, it is a segmentation tool. Uh, and since I work on muscle at the moment, it's uh, uh, providing uh, uh, segmentation models for leg and thigh muscles. Uh, but in principle, it's also uh, in, can be expanded to other to other organs uh, uh, and it's based on federated learning as uh, we are talking since the last uh, few minutes uh, uh, because we want something that uh, uh, everybody can contribute to. Uh, in muscle imaging the main problem is that we are usually talking about uh, rare diseases so we have few patients, every institution have few patients so we cannot do a big training just in a single site and uh, instead of uh, 
begging everybody to send us data. We tell them, look, we are offering you something. We are offering you a tool that we hope you find useful. And by using it, you are contributing to the, uh, to the overall uh, improvement of it. And uh, I think everybody likes the idea because uh, we are as open as possible. We published uh, uh, everything on GitHub and uh, everybody can profit from it. That's a great point. I think there are quite many particular uh, imaging areas in, in medical images where the data set, even if we consider like large population-based cohorts, uh, the number of images can be still quite low for some specific examinations. And uh, perhaps uh, really this federated framework can uh, help to bring more power and uh, uh, aggregate uh, basically all those uh, data sets to, to build better models. Yeah, and you know, uh, I noticed that uh, um, when you build a deep learning model, you use your own data and then you assume that uh, all the data are similar. And now with the experience of Daphne, I really have first experience that everybody's using different protocols, different resolutions, different orientations. So you really need something that uh, is able to adapt to that. And uh, uh, federated learning seems uh, that it is really helping. So I'm, it was maybe exceeding my expectations in this aspect. Could you tell us a few words about the developing team? How many people you have currently working on the project? and uh whether you are looking for, for more people or maybe some particular expertise? Uh, yeah, I'm happy to. Uh, so it's uh, me. Uh, I um, had a bit the original idea, uh, but as I said, I'm not the biggest uh, deep learning expert in the group. Uh, we have uh, Abramo Agosti from uh, Pavia in Italy who uh, trained the initial models that we offered, we trained and designed them. And then we also have a Jakob uh, in Basel uh, who works together with me and he's uh, working on the federated part on the server and so on. So we are three core developers uh, uh, plus uh, uh, we have some input from uh, some other collaborators. We have uh, Arjun in uh, Stanford uh, and these are the developers. Of course, uh, we have a lot of testers and uh, uh, we really had a fantastic response from the community, a few groups that really embraced uh, testing and trying it out uh, enthusiastically. Um, of course, I'm more than welcoming any new developer with new ideas. Uh, I would love to pay you. Unfortunately, at the moment, the uh, resources are limited to our public funding, uh, but everything is available on GitHub if you Want to contribute you can do it there and uh, if we get a better grant uh, let me know and uh, i'll try to to increase our team yeah i think even without money it's uh, it's a great and timely opportunity to uh, to join this project yeah and uh, the main question what are uh, your future plans for this uh, framework um, mainly to make it as uh, usable as possible for our users. I continuously uh, get feedback. Uh, they would like to have this or that feature implemented. Uh, and uh, this, is, uh, this is always a bit the problem uh, with any software that everybody wants it their own way. Uh, but um, usability is, is our main issue. And uh, secondarily, uh, 
under the hood, we want to offer more models. So not just limited to muscle, but uh, maybe brain, but uh, mostly heart, uh, liver, uh, other organs. Um, could you say also a few words on, uh, on the success stories? Uh, did you have a chance or, or time really to put this framework into some clinical studies and uh, maybe produce some publications or some interesting results? Um, yeah, well, it's, it's still relatively new. We went public uh, with it uh, uh, at end of March. So, of course, the publications uh, are, not, are not yet published. Uh, my biggest success story happened uh, uh, this summer because uh, I, I, I contacted a lot of, so a lot of collaborators came together also after ASMRM and they were really enthusiastic in trying the, uh, the, the software and we did, uh, we called it the Segmentaton in July where uh, a number of, uh, of groups uh, all segmented uh, a number of uh, subjects per day so that the model could, uh, could evolve and uh, um, I just uh, put together the results and they're really encouraging. Uh, the model seems to really evolve on its, on its own and it's, uh, it's, it's great to see. Um, otherwise, uh, uh, in our institution, uh, our, some colleagues are using it already to do their data analysis. Uh, so uh, I'm really happy of how the things are going, yes. Yeah, really looking forward to see the, the results. Since you are an experienced person in the field, and what do you foresee as the next big thing in machine learning and medical data analysis? Oh, wow. <laughs> this is a really a million dollar question. Uh, um, <laughs> I think uh, in general, in machine learning, uh, um, I would like to see uh, a paradigm shift. Uh, so at the moment, machine learning and especially deep learning is uh, really the, the tool uh, to, to do everything. And um, uh, when you when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. You know that's what they say. They're trying to apply deep learning to everything. Uh, at some point, uh, like uh, it happened for so many other technologies, I think that uh, we will be able to really focus on what uh, machine learning is good at uh, and uh, find out some uh, uh, good applications. Uh, for example. Uh, I read a bit of discouraging uh, uh, article some uh, few days ago that uh, a lot of machine learning was applied in COVID research, uh, but nothing really helped. And uh, this, is, uh, this is something that we should learn from and really understand uh, what can happen and what cannot happen. The big drawback of machine learning at the moment is that uh, it uh, can it cannot really generalize so it can learn from what it has seen but uh, it cannot do real, real inference and our computer science uh, gurus and uh, data science gurus should uh, think about the next big uh, improvement in machine learning methods as a last question uh, can you recommend some learning material for students uh, for researcher who wants to get into federated learning? Oh, specifically federated learning. Um, yeah, there, there are some, some books. Uh, um, as I said, well, 
my approach is actually a very practical one. I rely on people that uh, are uh, more experts than I am. Uh, and also the federated learning that we do is, uh, is very basic. So we don't really uh, do any fancy merging algorithms uh, for, uh, for, our, for our models. Um, I think uh, that a strong base in deep learning in general uh, is the first prerequisite uh, and uh, understand what you're doing uh, beforehand. And then the federated learning is um, more, uh, I would say, uh, organizational issue than uh, implementational one. So getting something that uh, people are willing to use and, uh, and contribute to. And this was a great conversation. Thank you so much for both joining me and thank you for your time. Thank you, thank Sarah. You. By the way, small shout, uh, shout out uh, about an ESMRMB sponsored workshop uh, that Francesco and I are currently organizing called MRI Together. It will be a global workshop on open and reproducible science in MRI, touching on a lot of uh, the aspects that we talked about today from data sharing, pulse sequence, reconstruction and AI. It will take place online on December 13 to 17, 2021. We will have sessions in all time zones. So no matter where you are in the world, you will have to excite in live sessions during your daytime and a lot of content to watch at your convenience. Uh, MRI together.yesmrmb.org.